Though Paul undoubtedly wrote scores, if not hundreds, of personal letters, only four of them were inspired by God's Holy Spirit. Titus received one of them, and last week we looked at the one that was received by Philemon. Today we examine the second of two epistles written to a young pastor named Timothy. Now, the first letter to Timothy was extremely practical. It was written to instruct Timothy, among other things, in the proper administration of the local church. Second Timothy, while still practical and instructive, um, is much more personal and is weighed down with the sobriety one would expect of Paul's last letter written on earth. In chapter 3, Paul predicts what Timothy's going to face as the pastor of the church at Ephesus and what he'll face in other ministry opportunities as well. But it doesn't stop there. Paul is also telegraphing what we will encounter throughout the church age, the last days, and even what will be present going into the tribulation on a much greater scale. He speaks of perilous times, times that will be difficult for the most seasoned of Christians to navigate. In chapter 3, Paul instructs Timothy, and by extension us, how to successfully navigate these treacherous times. And so he delivers a clear teaching. We're going to split this into two messages, one this morning, one tonight, Lord willing, on what we should know in these last days what we should know in these last days. So, Father, would you help us as we look to your word? Would you help me to preach it and teach it in the way that most pleases you and to rightly divide your word of truth? Help me to leave out what you want me to leave out, to put in what you want me to put in. Help me to be a good uh, user of the time that we have. And Holy Ghost, would you just get in the middle of this thing and touch hearts and do in us what only you can do. If somebody needs to be saved, I pray they'd come to Christ. If somebody is saved but needs some guidance, direction, conviction, or help this morning, I pray they'd have it. And above all, may Jesus be lifted up and made much of. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. We begin, first of all, with the setting. The setting. Number one, verse, one, verse number one. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now, when you see that phrase, last days, it usually, and in this case, I believe this is what it means, it usually means those days from Pentecost till the rapture, the church age. If Jesus doesn't come back for another thousand years, we are still in the last days, okay? These days are perilous. They're dangerous. They're treacherous. They were in Paul's day. Would you agree with me that they are today too? And if you don't see it, you've not been paying attention. It's dangerous in the matter of personal injury. There's a lot of ways to get hurt. I confess to you, sometimes I follow things on Twitter that I probably should not because they're wicked, but they waste too much time. And one of those is a 
some guy on Twitter that has just found interesting videos of people doing stupid things. There's a lot of ways to get hurt, and many of them are quite funny. But he's not just talking about that. How about political corruption? And it's nothing new, y'all. Nero was politically corrupt, and has been that way ever since. How about adversaries, foreign and domestic? Some of y'all are old enough to remember hiding under your desks when they would have drills. I've never understood what hiding under your desk would do in a nuclear attack. But they had you do it. I'm sad to report to you that at Granite, we have to do that now. We have to have drills that we, we have a different name for them, but basically what they are is what do we do in the event of an active shooter? Now, we work hard for the kids not to understand what's going on, just to get some muscle memory as to what you do. The truth is, church, it, it would behoove us to know what we should do in here. Now, we have people in place and things in place to mitigate that as much as we can, but we can only do so much because we are living in perilous times. Of course, words getting around that if you're, you attack Fellowship Baptist, that's probably your worst target because there's a whole lot of Second Amendment people here. <laughs> but government overreach. Now, I'm not trying to get political here. It happens on both sides of the aisle. But we're living in a time where they'll leave a kid in an openly abusive situation, but you spank your kid, you better watch out. I'm talking about government overreach. I can see now that my, my uh, fonts are different, so who knows how these things are going to look. So I apologize in advance if they're goofy. Technology is great until it isn't. I want to say that before I get into the meat of this message, the setting. But then Paul, in verses 2 through 12, he gives us a spectrum. Now, what do I mean by spectrum? A spectrum is a, a swath of condition. You've got, you've got one extreme on this end and one extreme on this end, and he gives us a spectrum going from one to the other, one end being evil and one end being good. One end being bad examples, the other end being good examples. He says, Timothy, you're in the last days and you're going to face perilous times and here's the kind of people you're going to encounter. And he begins with the bad examples. The bad examples. I'm going to move through them quickly. First of all, yep, that's what I thought. They're traits. They're traits. What characterizes them? We see 19 of them in verses 2 through 5. He begins by saying they're going to be lovers of their own selves. This is the overarching problem. Everything kind of trickles down from this major problem. They're lovers of their own selves. One commentator wrote that all the rest of these problems fall under three types of what he calls inordinate love. You have narcissism, which is the love of self. You have materialism, which is the love of stuff. And you have hedonism, which is the love of the sensual. That covers about everything you're going to encounter in this world. 
narcissism, materialism, hedonism. One pastor gave good counsel to his young preachers. He said, there's three things you've got to watch out for, and they fall right in line with this. Watch out with what you want to be, watch out with what you want to have, and watch out with what you want to feel. What is that? That's narcissism, materialism, and hedonism. And it's all around us. These people are going to be lovers of their own selves. They're going to be covetous. This is not just the general lack of contentment that you see mentioned first in Exodus 20. This is a continual lust specifically for money and for riches. Are we there? You could just as easily read uh, this know also that in the last days perilous times have come. We're there. He says they're going to be boasters. That's outwardly braggart. They're going to be proud. That's inwardly arrogant. They're going to be blasphemers. This goes beyond cursing and reviling God's name specifically. It is abusive and slanderous intent against all that is holy. There are people that run television shows that make a lot of money off of being what they like to call irreverent. But what they actually are is blasphemous. This is interesting. In the middle of these horrible, awful things, disobedient to parents. Now, first and foremost, we should understand that God takes that very, very seriously. Young people that are in here, God takes your obedience to your parents very seriously. But he's going even beyond that. This is rebellion, not just against mom and dad. This is rebellion ultimately against all authority. By the way, mom and dad, you hear this and you hear this well. If you do not support other authority in your child's life, it is only a matter of time before it erodes your authority in your child's life. If you don't back the teacher, back the coach, back the police officer, whoever else, it's only a matter of time for that kid says, well, I don't have to listen to you either. Well, the teacher isn't always right. The policeman isn't always right. The coach isn't always right. And the parent isn't always right either. But God's word is always right. This is anything that is rebellion against God-given authority and is disruptive of God's plan for the family. If you can't see that this world is trying to disrupt God's plan for the family right now, you got your head in the sand. Then he says, unthankful. A lack of gratitude lends to a sense of entitlement. Isn't it amazing how many young people, and we got great young people here. Let me make this really clear. But I've run across young people in my life that when they turned 16, it was just a given. They were going to get a new car. My parents didn't see it that way. You know what my first car was? A 1981 Chevy Chevette. Zero to 60 in 1.4 hours. <laughs> Going downhill. Gray with a black vinyl interior. You dare not wear shorts in that car. Cold or hot. It had an AC Delco AM radio with one speaker in the dash. And one day I found a Pioneer cassette deck and put that thing in there and blew that speaker out. That was my first car, and then I graduated to a 1984 Pontiac Sunbird with a blue crushed velvet interior. 
Yeah, we were, we were doing something then. And I had my eyes on mom's Christ little baron. I remarked in our Sunday school class this morning that I think young ladies, their first car needs to be something like a 1984 Buick. It needs to be a tank so they are safe from anything that may impact them or they may impact. And it needs to get like eight miles to the gallon so they can't go very far. You will not see Claire tooling around in a new car. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It's going to barely run and that's how I want it. Entitlement. Mom, I need the latest cell phone. No, you don't. But let's not pick on the teenagers, shall we? Boy, there's a whole lot of parents that are entitled too, aren't they? That's why we're so in debt. We've got to have the newest things and the best things, and we've got to have them right now. We don't want to have to work for them like the last generation did. We want them now, and it doesn't matter. I'm going to be in debt anyway. I might as well have nice stuff. And we saddle our kids with all kinds of foolishness later on. Man, I'm feeling preachy this morning for a Sunday morning. I think I'm mad about the, uh, the, the slides. Can I tell you something, though? When gratitude is gone, all other sins are possible. When we stop being thankful, all other sins are possible. I can prove it. You remember Romans chapter 1? Paul gives us that terrible list. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. To do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. How did all of that start? You go back to verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. He says, Timothy, you're going to encounter people that are unholy. Unholy means profane or grossly indecent. Remember when there used to be a certain amount of propriety in social life? Now the grosser you are, the better. Without natural affection. Now a lot of people run straight to homosexuality on this one. That is not what it means, although in other passages of Scripture it does touch on that. By the way, God's against all sexual perversion. Any sex outside of the marriage of one man and one woman is against God's word. Okay, But that's not what he means here. This is the absence of love that should normally occur in a natural setting. This is spouses that aren't treating each other right. They're lacking natural affection. This is mothers who don't love their children. And when we're aborting babies by the millions, that's a lack in natural affection. Mamas should love their babies, not kill them. Let me say that again because that was a weak amen. I said mamas should love their babies, not kill them. We start getting weak on abortion, we might as well shut the doors. This is siblings that don't love each other, don't love their parents. These are people that are lacking in basic human compassion. These are two boys that stole a car and on their joyride purposely hit 
a man on his bike and killed him and videoed the whole thing laughing about it. This is without natural affection. By the way, the stinking rotten media didn't mention the boys. They said he died in a bike accident. I don't like Fox News either. It's all crooked, every bit of it. Well, where do I get what I need to know? This. Hmm. Truce breakers. These are people who just want to fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. False accusers. This is malicious gossip. Incontinent. These are people that have no shame and no self-control. Fierce, brutal, and savage. Despisers of those that are good. They not only hate God and anything righteous, they hate anyone striving to be righteous. Isaiah touched on this in Isaiah 5.20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Right now, this country is rancid with people that say, right is wrong and wrong is right. They're traitors. They're treacherous. These are people that look out for number one even when it hurts their closest loved ones. They're heady. They're rash and they're reckless. They're high-minded. This is called insolence under influence. They're conceited and intoxicated by their own self-worth. You know who these kind of people are? They're TikTok influencers. I'm not saying every TikTok person is a bad person. I'm saying TikTok is just rotten with this stuff. Verse 4 tells us lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And this is not just loving pleasures more than God. This is loving pleasure to the exclusion of God. These are people that they'll go to church if they don't have anything better to do. And perhaps the most dangerous and the most prevalent is in verse number five. These that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. They've embraced cold, dead religion. And they have enough religion to feel secure. They want the security and organization of religion, but they don't want the power of God in their lives that's supposed to change them. These are their traits. We're talking about the bad examples. These are their traits. And you know what else? Their threat, which is under that. Their threat. Verse number five. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Paul said there's no upside to being around these folks. Get away from them. Avoid them continually. And yet, what do we do? We love to mix it up with these folks. Well, I won't be like them. And they've got some good properties about them, some good qualities. And, and rather than practice biblical separation, we try infiltration, and it never, ever works. They're a threat, whether you realize it or not. We've seen their traits, and we've seen their Threat. May I remind you, Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. 
Now, verses six through eight tell us something else. Their technique. They operate in a certain way. Their technique. First of all, they're cunning. They're cunning. Look at verse number six. For of this sort are they which what? Creep. We've got some people in this church that are really good at creeping. Bethany Thompson's one of them. She has put me on the verge of a coronary so many times because I'm working at my desk and there she is with no warning. More than once, I'm there doing what I should be doing, studying and praying and digging deep into the word. Nah! And there she is. But these guys creep into lives. And they're there before you even know it. They sneak. They creep. They're cunning. They're not going to come in waving banners and ringing bells and we're here to corrupt you. No. You know what else they are? They're cordial. And yes, my fonts are back again. I'm not sure what's going on here. They're cordial. Where does it say they creep? They creep where? In the houses? I don't know about you, but people that are mean to me, people that are enemies of mine, don't usually get in my house very easily. But they're right in the house. Why? Because they're friendly. By the way, Sometimes they don't have to creep into our houses. Sometimes we welcome them in through what we watch and what we listen to and what we embrace. They're cunning. They're cordial. You know what else? They're captivating. You ever been captivated by something other than my preaching? You couldn't go if you tried. I'm so locked in. I've been to performances of different things, and, you know, we, we were talking about McDonald's went to the Ark and the Creation Museum. There's some captivating stuff there. You're locked in. That's what they do, too. They lock you in. Look what it says. Verse number six. For this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive. You're enslaved and don't even know it. They're captivating. You know what else they are? They're calculating. They're calculating. They're calculating in who their prey is. Now, let me cover this verse before you throw stuff at me, okay? They lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why does Paul say women? I'm going to get behind this pulpit. It happens to be women in this passage. Because think about the culture. Women were the ones at home. Women were the ones that, because of the culture, were not as up to speed on what was going on. They weren't as educated. 
It's, Paul is not saying that women are by nature that way. He's not saying that women are dumber. I have found the opposite to be true. Women tend to be much smarter. It happens to be women here, but please understand, it could be anybody. But they're, they're calculating. And so what are they after? They're after their prey. They're after people that are susceptible. In this case, silly women. Silly mean, gullible. Gullible. Now, folks, I love you. Some of y'all are gullible on social media. If it seems too good to be true, it is. I've got a whole message on that. I'll save that. You know what else? They look for people that are sin-laden, laden with sins. These are people that are already involved in things that they shouldn't be involved in, so they're looking for somebody to tell them that what they're doing is okay. Well, of course you should cheat on him the way he treats you. Of course you should treat her that way, the way she is. They're calculating in the matter of their prey, susceptible, sin-laden, people that are seekers, people that are ever learning but never able to come to the truth. They just want to know more and more and more, but they don't actually want to learn anything. They don't actually want to apply it. They just want to keep getting information. They're calculating in their prey, but you know what else? They're also calculating about their production. And yes, it's a production. Look at what it says in verse number eight. Now, as Jonas and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the, tr- the faith. Who is Jonas and Jambres? Well, Jewish tradition and, and written tradition tells us that these were two of the Egyptian sorcerers in Exodus chapter 7, that when Moses cast down his rod and it became a snake, they duplicated the miracle. They were counterfeiters. And because Paul mentions them by name, it's one of those occasions in which Jewish tradition is probably true. Even if that wasn't their actual given names, that's the names they gave them. It's kind of like our girls' basketball team have given names to some of the girls they play. They don't know their actual names. They just call them names. Not bad names, not mean names. What are we supposed to do about number three? You know, and they give a nickname that they've given them. Well, they gave them names. What were they? They were counterfeiters. They were putting on a production. Can I tell you, bad examples will do a lot of things that will look good. I'm I'm glad to be able to tell you today, though, We see their traits, we see that they're a threat, we see that they have a technique, but also we see their their termination. They do have an end, verse number 9. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. They do have an end. Okay. So we've seen the bad examples. Now it's 11.55 and I'm aware. Y'all listen fast. I'm going to move fast through this next part, okay? We're still on the spectrum. We're looking at the good examples. And we see that in verses 10 through 12. First of all, these examples are diametric. Now, what do I mean by diametric? Something that's diametric is polar opposite. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 9 says, They shall proceed no further. Their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. These are the bad examples. What's that next word? But. What's that? That's a pivot. That's a shift. 
We're going to talk about something opposite now. But what Paul is about to lay out is polar opposite to those bad examples. The Christian testimony should be the opposite of that of the world and that of the lost. It shouldn't look anything like it. There is no place for an example that is Christian-ish. But then there's a displayed example. A displayed example. Verse number 10. But thou hast fully known. I've not hid a thing from you. It's been out there for you to see. Paul has made no secret of who he is. He has invested heavily into Timothy, and we can expect no reproduction of our good example if we don't go through the trouble of investing in others. You know what else it is? It's a demonstrated example. A demonstrated example. Verse number 10 still. But thou hast fully known what doctrine? My doctrine. Paul's not being arrogant. We should, like Paul, strive to live so that we can be an example to others. Philippians 4 verse 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. I wish I could say that consistently. I wish I could say that I live in such a way and I display the kind of example and I demonstrate the kind of example that I could tell all of you, you live like me and you'll be in good shape. I can't always say that. But that's what I should strive for. That's how I should, should try to live. The easiest way for my kids to be like Jesus is if I give them a good template so they can be like me. And dads, when we fail to be like Jesus, we fail our kids. But then he delineates this example. What is it? What have we known? Thou hast fully known my doctrine. This is sound teaching. Thou hast fully known my manner of life. This is a solid testimony. Thou hast fully known my purpose. This is a stated target. Thou hast fully known my faith. This is a settled trust. Thou hast fully known my long-suffering. This is a steadfast temperament. Thou hast fully known my charity. This is a Savior's tenderness. Thou hast fully known my patience. This is sustained tenacity. And thou hast fully known that I have been through persecution. He goes on to say, they that shall live godly in Christ Jesus, shall suffer persecution. So what's one of the traits of the good example? Satanic trials. Hear me, friend. If you've gone through this life as a Christian and the devil has never once come against you, you've never been persecuted, you've never been tried, you're doing something wrong. We've seen the bad example on the spectrum. We've seen the good example on the spectrum. Now comes the so what. All right, Andy. You showed me what not to be. You showed me what to be. What do I do with this? Here's what we need to know about what Paul is saying here. Now, please don't check out because this is the heart of the whole message. When Paul said, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, he's speaking to who? Who's he speaking to? 
Timothy. What's Timothy's vocation? He's a pastor of a local church that's happening to be the church at Ephesus. Paul is not just telling Timothy, this is who you're going to encounter in the workplace. This is who you're going to encounter in the market. This is who you're going to encounter in the, uh, in the, 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 the forum. This is who you're going to encounter on the street. This is who you're going to encounter in Roman government or provincial government. He's saying, Timothy, this is who you're going to encounter in your church. What do we take from that? These examples, good and bad, do exist in the world around us. That's true. But we don't just find them in withful, bland, rural retreat, Ivanhoe, Fort Chiswell, Stringtown, whatever. We don't just find them in the Commonwealth of Virginia or in Southwest Virginia or in East Tennessee, or West Virginia, or Western North Carolina. No. We'll find them here. And if you look hard enough, you might find them in your family. And if you use the Word of God as a mirror, you might be surprised to find them in you. So here's the so what. You got one group, lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unfaithful, and I'm sorry, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. You got that group on this end of the spectrum. And then you've got those people that are of sound teaching, solid testimony, a stated trust, I'm sorry, a stated target, a settled trust, a steadfast temperament, the Savior's tenderness, sustained tenacity, and are bearing up in the midst of Satan's greatest trials. You've got them on this end, the good end of the spectrum. Now, here's the question you have to ask yourself. I have to ask it. Brother Davies has to ask it. My wife has to ask it. My daughter has to ask it. These folks over here need to ask it. These folks here need to ask it. And these folks here need to ask it. If I look at myself through the mirror of God's word, where am I on that spectrum? Am I closer to over here? Or are some of those bad traits pulling me this way because this isn't just out there it's in here and it's in here so before we can talk about what Paul says to do about it we've got to recognize is this me because these last days are just going to get more and more perilous And that's first and foremost what we need to know. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please.